Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beet treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's the mindset I'm trying to adopt going into Tuesday. Whatever happens, I'm going to stay with it. I will be a witness to it. I will be a participant in it to the extent that makes sense. I will think about what I owe my fellow citizens over the next week, and I will show up with them and for them. And I think that's the best we can do and that there's something powerful and holy about that. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. This is our last dun-dun-dun. Friday episode before Election Day, and we have an exciting announcement. We will be on Hot Mic Election Night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You just download the Hot Mic app. It's free. Use the code Pantsuit. You'll find our event. It's going to be great. BYOB. 
put on your comfy clothes. We're going to watch the Whatever beginning. Whatever there is to watch. <laughs> right. The beginning of the results. Roll in. Listen, I'm feeling real hopeful. I think we might know that. And I'm just going to put that out there. But if we don't, we'll get through it together. But please join us on Hot Mic Election Night. It's going to be really, really fun. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fun that you think we're going to know the results that night. I do not think we're going to know the results that night, but I hope you are correct. Before we dive into talking about the election and about what's going on with the Supreme Court related to the election and COVID and all the things, we want to send so much love to our listeners and friends in Louisiana and Mississippi and everyone affected by Hurricane Zeta. I heard from Emily, one of our executive producers this morning, who does not expect to have power for a couple weeks now. Mm. And I thought... In the midst of a COVID surge, in the midst of this election, a hurricane comes along right now around Halloween. And as we're going into the holiday season, I'm I'm sorry, universe, that's cruel and unusual. We earthlings are going to need a minute. But lots and lots of love to all of you dealing with the aftermath of that hurricane. This is the strongest hurricane this late in the season in something like 100 years. You know, it's not that they're just coming more frequent, but that they're stronger. And so the people of Mississippi and Louisiana, they're not even just getting a break before they're handling another storm and another storm and another storm. So definitely, yes, we keep them in our thoughts. We have a new Supreme Court justice. That's a maybe good place to stop just with your sound there. Just well, I'll just sit with that for a second. It's kind of it's kind of like the Supreme Court version of Ohm at this point. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. And if I didn't feel that way, I sure as heck felt that way after this shadow docket of election cases. But we do. We have a new Supreme Court judge, Amy Coney Barrett. <sighs> OK, I have a couple I have a couple questions for you. First, how do you respond to this this idea that we should celebrate another woman on the court, no matter the woman's judicial philosophy? I do celebrate another woman on the court. I do not celebrate that woman being appointed at this time by this president. Mm -hmm. Remember when Brett Kavanaugh lost his mind during his confirmation hearing? That seared I mean, into my brain. I've attempted to block it, but yes. At that moment, I thought, you know, regardless of the allegations against him, this behavior to me indicates a problem. And a problem with judgment. And judges are there for their judgment. And I feel that way about these super spreader events related to her nomination hmm. and confirmation. I just think that there's a judgment issue. And, and I was really trying to be open-minded about her decision to accept the nomination at the beginning. But when I think about two events in a row in the midst of COVID that exposed people to unnecessary risk— I just really struggle with that. And I also don't appreciate the idea that we celebrate a greater diversity on the Supreme Court, which we need desperately, used as sort of a punching bag against mm -hmm. those of us who have a problem with how this process has unfolded. So, I mean, sure. Yes, I'm happy that it's a woman. I'm happy that it's a person with a law degree. I'm happy it's a person who has some experience. In the legal profession, he could have gone a lot of directions here, and who knows what he would have gotten away with, given how craven Mitch McConnell has been about this entire mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, And no, I'm still not happy about it. And honestly, it hit me a lot harder than I expected it to. I didn't watch the confirmation hearing for her. I did not watch the vote roll in because I just knew what the result was going to be. Really didn't care too much whether Susan Collins voted for her or against her at this point. And then when it just happened and it just was a fact of the universe, I felt really sad in a way that I struggle to put words around. And part of that is because I spend so much time reading Supreme Court cases. Uh, But just thinking about the fact that I seriously doubt Donald Trump has ever read an opinion of the United States Supreme Court, and he has now nominated one third of the justices Mm -hmm. sitting there. It just, I just find it heartbreaking. I really do. I agree with you. My heartbreak with the Supreme Court started much earlier than yours. And as a result, I've really disconnected from the institution. It's probably why I can't read the cases the way that you do or find joy at all in reading the cases the way that you do. I just, I think it's a broken institution and I have so little investment in it anymore beyond reforming it. That's what I feel passionately about. And, you know, I'm happy there's another woman on the Supreme Court always, but she represents the opposite of diversity in many other ways. And recently a listener sent us an episode of Deep Background with Noah Feldman where he interviewed Judge Sutton for a series on the deep bench about originalism and textualism and judicial restraint. And it helped clarify that what bothers me about that approach and what bothers me about where we are with the Supreme Court is that it becomes so much about the partisanship of the individual judge, which is new. You know, you forget that um, Brown v. Board of Education was written by a Republican appointee. Roe v. Wade was written by a Republican appointee. You had appointees from Republican presidents that would become liberal votes. And the influence of the Federalist Society and the work of Antonin Scalia in really asserting this idea that it's all about the individual justices and basically their politics I don't care. You Truly, you can dress it up as judicial restraint all day long and wax poetic about how you're trying to say neutral. But I do not believe neutrality is a thing for human beings to accomplish, whether they work on the Supreme Court or in the media. I just think that is a myth we tell ourselves and it is foolish. And so I realized when I think about the court and what I think about a, a flourishing court, a court that I could feel invested in again, It's really a court that sees itself as a body where the members deliberate and work on each other instead of just a tinier version of Congress where we're just in deadlock because our partisanship is incompatible. And so I think I'm just really disconnected from the institution and until the conversation becomes more about how to reform the Supreme Court and less about the partisan politics of the justices themselves, I'm continue to feel disconnected. Well, it doesn't connect you more to watch the election Mm -hmm. cases unfolding in the court. Yeah, not helping. What I want to be sure to spend a minute on is where you all are seeing headlines that are inconsistent. Because the way that election cases get reported on is also really confusing. And a lot more goes into the reporting sometimes than we know from the decisions. And so it, it feels like a mess. 
On the whole, I think what you can know about the court as it stands today, and Justice Barrett has not yet participated as of the time we're recording, which definitely could change between now and when you hear this podcast. But as of the time that we are recording, Justice Barrett has not yet participated in one of the election cases because she has not had time to be fully briefed on them. On the whole, the theme is a majority of the court and who that majority consists of depends on the case, believes that the Constitution very clearly gives the authority to regulate elections to state legislatures, and we prioritize what is in state law over everything else. And at least three justices in almost every case think that any attempt to change what is in state law based on COVID violates the federal Constitution regardless of whether a state court says that its own constitution allows it. They think that if election officials or a judge extend the deadline for counting absentee ballots, for example, that is a federal constitutional problem because the federal constitution says that state legislatures determine how elections are conducted. And then depending on the case, Justice Kavanaugh tends to feel that we don't change what is in state law under almost any circumstance. And Justice Roberts has more deference to state courts interpreting state laws and state constitutions, but not unwaivable deference. Do you think that's a fair summary, Sarah, of where we are? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's stupid, but I think it's fair. Well, I do try to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) I think the idea that the most important thing and the top priority in a national emergency, let's not dress this up any way else than what it is. It's a national emergency affecting the functioning of almost every institution in our country, that our founding fathers' priority would be on the rules for how to run an election instead of an actual functioning election is just about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I really appreciate Justice Kagan's opinion in one of these cases. I cannot remember right now which one. But she said that in talking about these rules, the themes are, well, an election has to end sometime. Yeah, of course it does. There there does have to be an end point, but no court has suggested otherwise. And we don't want to risk confusing voters or discouraging voters from participating in the process or overturning the results of an election. And she says there are no results to overturn until Mm -hmm. all of the duly cast ballots have been counted. So we're starting from a framework that prioritizes votes, ballots cast in person over mail-in ballots. And that's the wrong framework. Mm -hmm. And how does it confuse people to tell them we're going to do our best to count every vote? And how does it discourage people from participating to say, we're going to do our best to count every vote? And I think she's right about those things. Well, and to me, the narrative is we really prioritize judicial restraint. We really want to make sure that we don't interfere and we let the state legislator rule more than we care about getting every vote counted. We care about the rules around elections more than 
the elections themselves. We may we care more about maintaining our institutional integrity, which, you know, Brett Kavanaugh implying that absentee ballots flip the results and also just incorrectly categorizing Vermont's election law to the point where they asked for a correction. That's doing wonders for your institutional reputation, let me tell you. In the meantime, saying, well, if we get 80,000 votes in Wisconsin after Election Day, like they did in the primary, we throw those out. We don't count those. We don't count votes because the rules around how we count vote and never touching them and never messing with them and having all this judicial restraint is way more important than solving the actual problem and helping our institutions solve the actual problem of how to count the votes in the midst of a national emergency. And in a way, I think all of this is about individuals versus systems, like everything else we've been discussing for the past six months or so, because the flavor in the concurring opinions in the cases is the state has made it so easy to vote. You can vote early. You can vote in the mail. You can drop your ballot off in one of these drop boxes or you could put it in the post office boxes. There are so many possibilities. You can still show up on Election Day and vote. And that entire lens ignores, I mean, the case that really unnerved me more than any other is the curbside voting case from Alabama, where the Supreme Court prevented counties in Alabama that wanted to and were prepared to have curbside voting for people with disabilities from doing that. Mm. When we have the Department of Justice of the United States government recognizing that often curbside voting is the best way to deal with violations of the Americans with Disabilities Act, when we have the CDC recommending curbside voting. This is not a novel, untested, bizarre idea. But the Supreme Court is just saying there are all these other ways to vote. Just vote one of these other ways without thinking about the very real circumstances many people find themselves in as they weigh the decision of whether to vote or not in a place that could expose them to COVID-19. Isn't that the the true privilege and the lack of logic is that in our neutrality, see, we're neutral. Right. In our neutrality, we can assess every single person's individual barriers to voting. How absurd. How absurd is that? And they want so deeply to wax poetic about elected officials. And there, what do you have? Elected officials assessing the needs of their community finding a solution, and these nine unelected people saying, oh, no, in our neutrality, we really can assess what the best thing is to do here. The exact opposite of what they profess is their philosophy. I think that's right. And that's, again, why I would make a strong case to expand the court, because how do you have legitimate decisions being rendered around the Americans with Disabilities Act without a disabled person on the court? Mm -hmm. How do you have decisions about religious liberty being made that are going to be legitimate for a country of 300 million people without an atheist judge on the court. I mean, I just think if the court is to have any legitimacy going forward, it must represent a bigger swath of Americans. And then maybe you have decisions that'll probably be messier. You know, there'll probably be lots and lots of different perspectives in those decisions, but at least the final vote we can have some assurance that someone did think about me when this was happening. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. 
Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high-quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsestories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops. Premium luggage options and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. Well, the most infuriating part about listening to Judge Sutton talk about judicial restraint and and originalism and textualism is instead of saying, well, we find your judicial approach lacking because it doesn't represent America, 
he says, oh, well, because you can see, see, it's it's objective. So you can look at the historical documents and there's a standard by which you can find this judicial approach. So, yeah, you can criticize it, but you have no form of redress. You have no way to say you did this wrong. You can just what write a paper about it and that's good enough. That's not good enough for me. And to me, that's what we're really facing here is we have to find a reform in which when we feel like the judicial approach is not serving the needs of the American people, then there is at least, you know, in many of the reforms built in a a fluidity, right? A fluidity of input so that it that there is a, a constant churn either from the lower courts or due to term limits or something so that if we say, oh, this isn't working, then there's something we can do about it. Because I don't really care if there's a standard by which I can judge your judicial philosophy if I have no redress. So my overriding feeling about these cases is that it demonstrates a flaw in our Constitution that needs to be rectified. We should have a fundamental right to vote in our Constitution because that is how we conduct elections now. Mm-hmm. And it is the expectation of Americans and it is built into American identity and we don't have it. We only have it if the states give it to us, which gives the state a lot of power to limit it. And I think we need to change that. And I think we need the kind of language that Pennsylvania has in its state constitution with a strong presumption in favor of enfranchisement. Yeah. That we interpret the rules with a strong presumption in favor of counting every vote that was cast by a registered voter. And I just that feels to me like a very basic step forward that we can take in this area. Because I think when you you stack up not just the Supreme Court decisions with regards to these cases, but the strategy of filing these cases, particularly within the Trump campaign, what you see is a real desire to suppress the vote. You have them saying in Pennsylvania, well, we have to have a decision on election night. I mean, we have to wrap this up. We need to know as soon as as the results are in on election night, who won? And then in the face of record-breaking turnout, you have them in Nevada arguing, oh, well, listen, you can't start counting early. No, of course not. You can't start counting the votes early because we don't have enough people there to watch and there could be problems and you could be slipping in votes. So they want election officials to do the impossible, to either don't allow early voting or to try to have everyone vote on election day in the face of record-breaking turnout and a pandemic and the closing of many, many, many polling locations. And then they want it all wrapped up with a neat little bow on election night. I mean, just when you put all these cases together through the eyes of the people filing them, not just through the eyes of the Supreme Court decisions, what you see is a strategy to make it harder for people to vote to make it harder for the election officials to count the votes, to make it harder to allow any absentee ballots to come in and be voted. Like, it's just hard to look at this and not see their number one priority is to suppress the vote. There was an interesting piece in Politico today about how suppressing the vote is the campaign strategy, that Mm. there is a campaign within the Trump campaign to suppress the vote because the numbers don't work otherwise. Yep. And that's alarming. I just think wherever you fall on the political spectrum, that's alarming. Well, and maybe this is a a good time to pivot to 
the polls. Dun dun dun. You know, I do feel hopeful about election night, despite this campaign within a campaign to suppress the vote. And part of it is because of what you just articulated, that we know without a shadow of a doubt we are in the midst of record-breaking turnout. And the Trump campaign success in 2016 was absolutely in part based on low turnout, low enthusiasm on behalf of the Clinton campaign. And still, the margins were so thin. I heard somebody the other day describe it as, you know, he pulled three cards of the same type in 2016. He'd have to roll snake eyes on the next move in 2020 to win. I just think it's such a historical accident. And I think the way the polls have not tightened, the way they have been sustained, the way that you have record-breaking turnout, just all of these pieces together, not to mention just the chaos that he spreads wherever he goes, including leaving these these poor people in Nebraska out in the cold in Omaha after his rally. Like, I just, you know, I think that there's a space to always and forever be cautious, particularly with polls. But I also think there is space to say, This is very, very different. This is very different. And we can't, it doesn't mean we don't vote. It doesn't mean we stay, we don't stay enthusiastic. But I also hate that people are just eaten up with anxiety because of 2016 when the only thing the same this year is Donald Trump. But it wasn't just Trump that got Trump elected. It was a million other things, foreign interference, social media, mass media, polling errors, campaign errors on the other side, just all these things. And I think I don't I just don't want people to get eaten up and feel like a surprise is coming no matter what, because I don't think that that is what the evidence shows. I have buckets of feelings about this. I both love your confidence and it makes my jaw tighten a little bit. (laughs) Um, I continue to worry that there are people who will support the president privately who have not publicly I don't think it is the same as in 2016. And I don't count anything until it's done. And I really would be shocked if we didn't have some waiting past Election Day for certainty about pivotal states. The other thing that I'm struggling with is that I want the polling that is reassuring to be right. And I want the polling that's discouraging to be wrong. I really would like in congressional races to see some surprises from the polling, uh, some big surprises, not only because I want some of my candidates who are down in the polls to win, but also because I want it to feel like our votes matter in congressional races. I've been so discouraged, and I've talked about this a million times because I really am stuck on it. I'm so discouraged by the power of incumbency in the Congress. I'm so discouraged by the way districting determines how uh, the vote is just certain to go. You know, the fact that we have any solid D or solid R districts, regardless of who the candidates are, really kind of depresses me. And so I really want to have it both ways with the polls this year, too. See, I don't see much discouraging me in district-wide polling. Like, I feel like the district-wide polling, particularly in swing states, still looks really, really good for Joe Biden. 
But I mean for the uh, for the congressional races. No, I mean that. Yes, but I mean like the congressional district polling, how those candidates are doing, I think still looks really good for Joe Biden. You know, in the same way that in 2016, there were red flags in Michigan and Wisconsin for Hillary Clinton if you looked at that district level polling. I haven't encountered a polling. I have not encountered a polling result I needed to talk myself out of. Every single thing I've read makes me feel just fine. And this is from the person who doesn't love polling. And that's because I don't love polling, particularly in primaries. I don't love polling early in the process because I think it's of limited use and I think it becomes a story. But at this point, so close to Election Day, polling is insightful. And honestly, less than the polls, it's the turnout that leaves me so incredibly encouraged. And I watch y'all's incredible pictures pour in. And I think that what we're seeing is people just really ready to do something for their country. Like, I think people almost like the lines. I think I even felt that a little bit. The sense of like, I get to sacrifice something for this place I really love that I feel like needs it right now. And to wait in line is the absolute least I could do. And I'm so happy and thrilled to do it. I'm very jealous that I didn't get to witness a lot of the first time voters and the applause like so many of you did. Super jealous of those stories. They make my heart grow a couple sizes. But I think there's this sense of like, it's not that the information makes me feel good, although it does. It's the information props up the sense of being a part of something big. Every, you know, I'm gut driven um, on the Enneagram and Enneagram One and just listening to all of you, watching the messages, watching the lines, it just feels like something is happening. It doesn't feel... It feels like a change. It feels like we're moving dramatically in a new direction. Um, And I just can't shake that feeling. I can't talk myself out of it, even though I was confident in 2016 to a certain extent, more because I was cherry picking polls that time. But, you know, I do. I just feel like it's something. And even, you know, you've talked a lot about how giving donations in the face of these record-breaking fundraising halls, and we've got numbers now this is going to be like a $14 billion election, which is bananas, makes you feel disempowered. But even that makes me feel empowered. I don't, I love giving money. I love being one of those small dollar donors. I love knowing that this flood of money rolling into these Senate races aren't coming from corporation. That makes me feel empowered. That makes me, again, feel like we're part of something different, that something's changing. And I, you know, I just... I can't shake it. It feels it feels so very different. Whereas I felt like last time, you know, I had so many people being like, oh, I feel something, but it's not what you feel. Like, you know, when you think, I think back to how many people, like based on their conversations or just the sense of like their neighbors and what they were experiencing in their everyday life were like, I don't know, I think you might win. And to me, those everyday experiences I'm having right now and thanks in part to our audience, which I realize as a self-selecting group, feels so different. Every person that's like, I talked to my parent, I talked to my dad, I talked to my mom, I kept working on them, I kept working on them, and they're going to vote for Biden, or they voted third party, or whatever, it just leaves me feeling so encouraged. I feel like our roles are reversed, because I feel like this was you last time. <laughs> I was pretty zen about it last time. I shouldn't have been, but I was. And I think that's part of it. I don't want to be wrong again. I also just don't want to crash emotionally Mm. 
And I, I was very emotional about voting this time in good ways and hard ones, uh, but much more so than I've ever felt. And so I know that I'm going to have a strong reaction to the results, whatever they are as well. And I'm trying to prepare myself to be the kind of person that I want to be no matter what those results are. And I think that could be hard. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about four more years of Donald Trump is very hard. It hits me in a lot of different directions. And the biggest one I talked about in our pre-election political therapy, the biggest one is a sense of resentment. And I do not want to live in that. So I'm really just trying to keep myself with my feet on the ground, prepared for whatever comes, knowing that whatever comes is not the end or the beginning of something completely transformative right away. I I appreciate that Joe Biden is out talking, and this is a good transition to COVID-19. I appreciate that he's out telling people, hey, if I win, we still got a lot of work to do, and it is still going to be very hard. Just getting the virus under control is going to be very hard. And I'm glad that he's setting those expectations because that is certainly my sense of things. So many of you have loved ones who are perpetuating the idea that COVID-19 is just an invention for this election cycle. Obviously, our own president is perpetuating the idea that COVID-19 is just about this election cycle. But I don't think that you can look at what is happening across the United States and you most certainly cannot see what is happening in Europe right now without realizing that this is much bigger than the election, that we are experiencing a really, really difficult third wave, ones that experts have been warning us was coming um, due to the colder months. France has just issued a month-long lockdown. Germany closed restaurants and bars and gyms. Both countries have prioritized keeping schools open, which is nice. I would like to see more of that in the United States. But we are definitely in the midst of growing numbers where our hospital systems, who now know how to treat COVID-19, are struggling under the lack of resources, lack of beds, lack of staff. And it's really getting incredibly dangerous. And I think one of the most frustrating things I heard recently was Dr. Fauci say, well, we're going to be dealing with this longer because we've handled it so poorly. And I think I was telling myself, like, The timeline he was laying out for us that we'll, you know, get this vaccine at the end of the year and we'll be back on track by mid-2021 was staying no matter what. And I'm like, no, of course he's right. The You know, the longer our federal government refuses to institute any national policies, any strategy, any giving of resources to states and local communities— the longer this stretches out. And I, I honestly, I can't even think about that because it makes me so furious that this is so much harder than it has to be. And even should Joe Biden win and we're facing a new year with so much more work than needs to happen because we just refuse to have any national leadership when it comes to this pandemic. I feel that absence of leadership more acutely right now than I have to, even though I would say that we've not had national leadership the whole stretch. I feel really rudderless about COVID-19 right now in a a way that is strange because I'm watching these numbers just pile up and pile up and pile up. And here in Kentucky, where our governor is still working hard on this and going out and trying to send a good message, I just don't have the sense that everybody's bought in and mm-hmm. thinking about this and we know what the rules are. It 
I really feel that sense of just your best, everyone, (laughs) like good luck, because there isn't a strategy and there isn't prioritization and there aren't a lot of rules in place right now. And I'm surprised. This is another place where if I reflect on my own emotions, I am surprised by how dark that feels to me. Mm. No, I totally agree. We are facing virtual schooling next week because our county is in the red. And I'm just so frustrated that, you know, my kindergartner, who's really thriving, who loves his teacher, who said a prayer last night about thank you for learning and thank you for math, is going to be stuck back in front of a computer screen. I'm so furious about that because people don't want to do anything different and they just want to pretend like it's not happening. And I'm frustrated that the governor is not closing down restaurants and bars. I'm frustrated that it's more important that people go out to eat than my five-year-old get the physical and occupational therapy he needs at school. I'm really, really frustrated and furious and heartbroken about that. And I hope it's short-term and I hope it won't stretch out like it did in the spring. But who knows? Because there's so little leadership. And because there's no leadership And when people are left to their own devices, they are selfish. They are selfish. I do not think that is the default of humankind. But I think without leadership and information and people really trying to calm people's fears and offer them hope and a vision, that's what you get. You get a sea of selfishness. And that's what we are lost in right now, a sea of selfishness. What I would add to your formula is just in the face of a threat, which creates scarcity. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of, again, in that mindset of, oh, what are we going to run out of? I better get those things. Mm -hmm. What happens if the hospital's overrun? Like, I think the more the threat realizes, and it is in these numbers in so many ways, that sense of scarcity just increases and increases and increases. And that's where that selfishness is hard to avoid. It's I'm not mad at people about it in some circumstances because that's a very human, real instinct. My problem is that so many of us have had that sense of selfishness when we were able to have everything that we needed. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we we do not have to be here exactly what you said. We did not have to get to this point. And I don't know how much more intense it's going to become. But when I see a field hospital in use in the United States because of this virus, it makes me really anxious about where we're headed next. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earthbreeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, 
Gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. There's so much unknown right now. I know I'm not the only one clenching my jaws in my sleep. It's really difficult. And I think what I just want to offer is again saying you're not alone. We're all feeling it. We are all struggling under the weight of the unknowns of COVID-19, the unknowns surrounding the economy and any future relief coming from the government, the unknowns around the election not only the results, but the reactions of our fellow citizens and whether or not there will be violent reactions coming from some sections of our society. And it's just, it's so much. And the only way I think that we can lessen the intensity of that burden is to realize that we do not carry it on our own and that there are so many of us out there who want to do the right thing, who want um, to see our country go in a different direction, who want people to be happy and healthy. And even the most selfish and frustrated among us, you know, 
I think those values are universal, even if the fear is screaming at the highest possible decibel. And I think just remembering that we are a part of a, a beloved community, no matter how much there is fear and anxiety in that community right now. When you experience the sense of strain that we're all experiencing right now, every level of disconnection is amplified. And I'm trying to remember that, too. So -hmm. where you have disagreement with people you really love about the election, it's more painful now than it would be under normal circumstances where there's tension with your kids. I lost my mind the other day about my girls not keeping their rooms clean. (laughs) And just and, you know, I was able to step back, fortunately, in that moment and say, hey, Beth, this is probably not about the rooms, is it? (laughs) Let's have a moment. But that's happening to all of us on so many levels. And so I'm really excited that we're going to come together in community on election night. I think the only way to cope with that sense of feeling the strain, especially in our close relationships, especially over the election is to have a place to at least prop our feet up together and know that Mm -hmm. we're all being witnesses to whatever unfolds in our history. That's the mindset I'm trying to adopt going into Tuesday. Whatever happens, I'm going to stay with it. I will be a witness to it. I will be a participant in it to the extent that makes sense, that is required of me. I will think about what I owe my fellow citizens over the next week, and I will show up with them and for them. And I think that's the best we can do and that there's something powerful and holy about that. And I would also like to advocate rest right now because we are all carrying so much. I've started taking a nap every day because my body was sending me some really strong signals that I was exhausted in ways that aren't necessarily about just being tired from the day, but a a deeper sense of exhaustion that I was ignoring And it's really, really helped. Maybe that's the actual secret to my (laughs) positivity going into Election Day is that I'm resting more. And on a lighter note, um, but also related to the 2020, can I tell you this fun way I found to go to sleep? Yes, please. This is going to sound like some people's worst nightmare, but it works really well for me. So I don't even know where this came from, but one night I was laying in bed and I was trying to fall asleep. And I thought, I'm going to see how many United States senators I can name, just for kicks. I'm going to try to work through the states alphabetically and see how many senators I can name. I think I probably named over half of the states. But there was something about having to list the states, the alphabetical nature of listing the states, and then thinking about if I knew the senators from those states, that y'all... I'm still doing it. I've gotten better because sometimes I wake up in the morning. I'm like, no, for real, I got to look up who are the senators from Connecticut. It is Blumenthal and Chris Murphy for your information. But like there's something about that that now like I get to like, I don't know, Florida and usually I'm asleep. Something about the way I'm listing them. And I don't know if it's like the people and the geography or what, but not only can I list I can't list all of them. I can definitely list at least one from all but maybe two. I'm still struggling with Wyoming. But so I'm learning. That's fun. And it just really makes me fall asleep so fast. A little fun political hack for your sleep there. I think that's really lovely. Is there anything besides rest 
and connection and perspective that we can offer our listeners as we move into these final few days? For me, the other thing is always creativity. Mm. Whether that takes the form of appreciating someone else's creativity by reading a great book or poem or looking at beautiful art or making something yourself, and that could be baking bread or writing a poem or doing blown glass or whatever it is that you do. (laughs) I just think we need to know, this relates to what you said about waiting in line for the polls. And again, I think that's a wonderful thing. And I also want us to do better every election with reducing people's time there. But I think there is something in us that exists to know that we have done things that we can Mm. see and that matter and that could outlive us. And so I know that I have spent a lot of time this past week. I've read more fiction than I usually do. I have baked more than I often do. I've tried to do some little creative, just like craft projects. And that stuff really helps me get out of my own head and more into my body and more into my spirit. My nine-year-old would tell us that we're sharpening the saw with that kind of activity. And I just think that's really important. When you find yourself all jammed up, recognizing that ultimately all of life is a creative project, but it so rarely feels like it, getting into something that you can just make feels good. I 100% agree. I think the role of creativity and that release of letting your brain do something different, whether it's play an instrument. I love to knit. I also really, really love to read and particular fiction. So I totally agree with that. And you know what? You guys are always the best source of our ideas. So definitely share with us um, what you're doing right now to get out of your own head, find some rest, find some release um, in this really difficult historical moment. I would not go through it with anybody else but you, Beth, and without our community. That's for sure. Likewise. Well, we will see you on election day here on the podcast and then on hot mic in the evening between now and then. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. David McWilliams. Allie Edwards. Martha Brunitsky. Amy Whited. Janice Elliott. Sarah Ralph. Barry Kaufman. Jeremy Sequoia. Lori Lodow. Emily Neasley. Allison Luzader. Tracy Putoff. Julie Haller. Jared Minson. Marnie Johansson. The Creeps! Sherry Blim. Tiffany Hasler. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless. Linda Daniel. Joshua Allen. And Tim Miller. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, sign up for our weekly emails, and follow us on Instagram.